Good morning. Really uh, glad to see you this morning. I uh, have a very clear understanding that this morning I function as the offer of a piece of cheesecake. Uh, after you've already had a blooming onion and a massive steak and uh, many examples of God's goodness and provision to us and our kids and being able to sing and just being able to gather together as a church. This is sweet for us as a church historically uh, in the life of a young church plant. Uh, Mother's Day is when our congregation goes to their mama's church and uh, we sit here with four of us and we are deeply grateful that this year God is growing our church and many of you are guests and friends and family uh, that come to see uh, the children that God has entrusted to our care. So welcome. We are really glad uh, that you are here this morning. My name is Matt and I have the joy of uh, teaching most Sundays around renewal. We are going to continue uh, in the teaching series that we've been in for the last four or so weeks, and uh, we'll do um, due diligence in connecting this to the joy of family and um, mothering this morning. I don't know who the blonde is on guitar this morning, but somebody needs to marry her. Um, <laughs> thankfully, I did a decade ago, and uh, so uh, this is uh, personal for me and loving uh, those that God has entrusted to me. Uh, this morning, we're going to uh, finish our series on our five core values with the idea of uh, gift utilization, uh, how we steward what God has entrusted to us uh, in the life of his church and the life of our community. To do that, we're going to read a very familiar um, story that Jesus tells from Matthew 25. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, it uh, would be a great place to go this morning. Matthew 25, uh, we'll begin reading in verse 14, as Jesus launches into a series of parables and instructions, and my guess for uh, most of us, this will be quite familiar terrain with the story. It's one that many of us have heard since uh, we were young children. I hope to apply this uh, to our lives specifically this morning. Uh, Matthew 25, I'll begin reading in verse 14, and we'll Read the totality of the story that Jesus tells and come back and uh, talk about it. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. 
enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The story that Jesus tells, while quite familiar, is placed at an interesting juncture in the book of Matthew. If you kind of scan, allow your eyes to scan over the remaining chapters, you recognize that we are right on the brink of the passion narrative. As Christ will enter Jerusalem, be anointed, betrayed, killed. You know the story. Right preceding this passion narrative is placed these parables. And Matthew is a skillful editor, collector of Jesus' teaching, doesn't happenstance place stories. He selects this parable and places it here in the book of Matthew for a specific reason, and the reason is quite clear. Jesus knows that he is getting ready to go away. He's invested in these men for a significant length of time. And as a master who has cared for them, has invested in them, and is now leaving, he tells a story of investment and entrustment and a faithful master who goes away. And the question is, what will these people do with that which they've been entrusted? How will they respond to the goodness of the master? Specific in our story, there are three men, each entrusted with a sum of money, five talents, two talents, and one um, massive sum of money, one talent, most will say was equivalent to roughly 20 years of wages. So for the one who is entrusted with five talents, a lifetime of money in this one entrustment, and even the one who's given one talent is given a massive sum of money. 20 years wages dropped in their lap. And the question is, what will they do with this investment? The story easily dovetails the life of Christians. Those of us that are here now who call ourselves one with Christ under his banner, clearly there is a master who has gone away, who has left some entrustment to his children. And this entrustment, specifically in the story, can't refer to the gospel itself because we would affirm that the gospel can't change in value. There's not like a two-talent gospel 
that some of us get and a five-talent gospel that others get and a one-talent that the worth of the gospel is equivalent for us all. The price that Christ paid on our behalf is not something that varies. And yet, here in the story, there is a clear sense of specific entrustment to individuals that does vary. Maybe we'd say it this way, there is an embodiment of the gospel in the lives of those that are faithful servants that is distinct, that looks different. And the question is, for the readers of this story, as for us, is what we will do with that which God has entrusted to us. The question then is, what has God entrusted to us? Historically, when we speak of ideas like spiritual giftedness and gift utilization, my background uh, is much akin to a discussion of a third leg. Like, there's this something that's kind of arbitrary and excessive that kind of gets tacked on when you trust Christ. Not really sure what to do with it or what to make of it, but the Spirit has given something kind of rogue to who we are. The question is, is that idea of spiritual giftedness, is it big enough to encompass all that Christ has entrusted to each of us who bear the name of Christ? Or is there something bigger that we could think about? I I would think of it specifically larger scale in three concentric circles of God's investment to you, to each of us. The first would be an investment that is not distinguished between those who are in Christ and out of Christ by fact of being created, we have an investment of the image of God. Just by the fact of being created, God stamps his seal on us. Who we are at the very core of our being, apart from anything that we have chosen or done, is created by God and is, in a sense, an entrustment from him. This image-bearing stamp of God that is specific for each of us includes things that you had no control over. Your gender, you didn't choose that one. Your personality, body that you have, the physical makeup, soon your hair would leave. Those things are imprinted on you at creation. And we know these famous verses of God specifically knitting us together. Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when it was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Here we see God's fashioning personal handiwork, much like the Genesis narrative of taking dust and forming it, that he creates 
Paul in preaching to, uh, in preaching in, in Acts, says this, he made every one of them, this is all creation, every nation and mankind to live on the face of the earth, and he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God sovereignly created you like you, you are, and put you in a specific place and at a specific time. So at the core of the entrustment from God is who we are, our image-bearing nature, and the place that God has for us. None of this did you have anything to do with, but God sovereignly saw it, orchestrated it, and created it. And God did not make a mistake when he created you as you. Second concentric circle out, when we consider the entrustment of God in our lives, may be a little bit more challenging for us to think through, but I, I would phrase it this way, would be your grace story. The story by which God has orchestrated your life. This includes some of your own decisions, some of the choices that you have made. Image-bearing nature, who God's made you apart from anything that you do. Your grace story specifically includes choices that you made, but is all under the umbrella of God's sovereign control. Wins and losses. Sin, successes. Wounds, went All under God's sovereign control. See that? Ephesians 1, 11. God works all things, all things, after the counsel of his will. Proverbs 16. The mind of the man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. If you have lived longer than a day, you know that principle to be true. But you purpose, God repositions. Romans 8. We know that all things, all things, Work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, to him to be the firstborn among many brothers. All things. This is couched under the umbrella of Joseph's famous statement at the end of Genesis, Genesis 50, 20, which is a story that we all need to kind of have tattooed somewhere that we can see regularly on somebody that we like. Okay, so that God, what you purposed for evil, God intended for good. This is the story of the latter half of the book of Genesis. Is stupid human decisions that God sovereignly orchestrates for good purposes. Or if you need a more massive umbrella to place this under, Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven, and he has done whatever he pleases. God is sovereignly in charge and orchestrating your story. It includes all the decisions and things that you have done in the life that he has given you. I've alluded to some of these, but it might be helpful to make them explicit. This would include your wounds, your past, your pain, your weakness, your failure. God, in his entrustment to you, sovereignly purposed these wounds. And God does not waste your pain. Uh, even this morning, I, 
a reminder to me that for some of you, this isn't a day where you celebrate necessarily. This is a day that brings up real looming wounds. The mother who was distant and did not love you well, or mother that you didn't know, or a mother who's no longer here for some of you celebrating your first Mother's Day without a mom, or for some of you who have longed to have children. That has not happened yet. This day is met with some great and deep woundedness. Let me encourage you this morning that God is sovereign over that. God is in control of all of that. And even when his plans and purposes are not specifically the plans and purposes that you have for you, he is orchestrating all of that into his good design for you. And we'll speak to that more in a moment. But his wounds or specific part of his entrustment to you. Your salvation story is specifically entrusted to you. God always saves in the same means. The substitutionary death of Christ applied to you through faith and repentance. But God never saves in the same way. It's always the same means, but the process of bringing about salvation is distinct for us all. Your story, the way in which God saved you, is distinct and is part of who God has wired you and entrusted you to use in this world. Your passions, your loves, those sin hang-ups that so easily entangle you, the places of your story with disease or cancer or loss that you don't understand all of this goes into your grace story and is a second ring of who God has made you and what he has entrusted you to do. And then thirdly would be this sense of spiritual giftedness. We do see distinct language of something that happens upon our conversion that there is an outward manifestation of God's Spirit in us. This is the language of 1 Corinthians 12. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't dwell in us prior to knowing Christ, so when Christ saves us, His Spirit is given to us, and that is seen outwardly in gifts. 1 Timothy, Paul instructing Timothy to not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy at the council of the elders when they laid their hands on you. So clearly there is some sense of external gifting that the Spirit gives you. There's clear evidence of God's work in you. Your image-bearing nature, who God has wired you to be, your grace story, all the circumstances and situations, pain, successes, woundedness, all of that, and then distinct spiritual giftedness that is an outward manifestation of the inward spirit is your unique thumbprint for disciple-making in God's kingdom. And I just want to press in on us all that we not simply zero in on three and miss one and two this morning. That God has not given you some rogue spiritual giftedness that's kind of off here to the side, but God has sovereignly orchestrated all of your life as an entrustment. James explicitly says this, that every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything is a gift from God. And press, let me press with you a moment, even the things that you don't like. Even the things that you, on, in each of those levels. God, why did you build me this way? I don't like the frame that you have entrusted. God, why did you place me at this time and at this season? God, why did you place me in the family that you placed me in? God, why did you give me these sin hang-ups and these wounds? Why can't this be a day of celebration for me? Why is it a day of pain? Why is my giftedness not like that dude's giftedness? Can you affirm this morning that the totality of who you are is a good gift from a good God and is useful for entrustment in his kingdom? As I consider the story this morning, the parable of the talents and the entrustment that's given to them, it seems to me that there would be a few obstacles to the utilization of the gifts that God has entrusted to us. If we define gifts that way, image, story, giftedness. I think there's a couple of hindrances that I would see. One would clearly be the idea of resentment. God, why did you only give me two? Or, God, why did you give me a story that included X when it seems like that person up there has a story that included none of that? We can go to my illustration a moment ago. God, they started trying to get pregnant one month and they were pregnant. We've been trying for five years. Why does my story include this? Why does my story include loss? Why isn't my mom still here? And we can look easily from the posture of the two-person to the posture of the five-person and say, why am I not like that? Which is the second hindrance comparison. A deep insecurity that my story is different than theirs. Specifically, the five-talent person and the two-talent person in the story. The reality is, for all of us in the room, nobody thinks they're the five-talent person. None of us do. I mean, none of us are standing up this morning saying, I got it all. I mean, a uh, uh, whole life's worth of wages were entrusted to me. I bear the fullness of the gifting of God. We, we all look around the room and say, I wish I had that and wish I had that and their family. And to be a bit vulnerable, this is even true in my own story. And God has wired me, if you know me uh, pretty well, uh, you know that God has wired me to be more introverted than extroverted. Um, being around people uh, zaps my battery. Uh, it does not enliven me. And, uh, often in the last decade, as I've been doing pastoral ministry, I've pondered, God, why introverted pastors don't work? I mean, it's like a slow tailback, okay? Dude's just going to get killed. Why did you call me and yet wire me this way? It's easy to look at the guy that can go 12 hours on the stage and battery never runs out and say, I want to be like that. I bet you're more like me than you could admit. I wish I had that. And the last one I think that we see in the story is the sense of fear. 
This is what the one talent person did. He hid it in a field, which would have been quite common. You get a gift. The man who finds the treasure in the field, he hides it, goes and sells all, and comes back and buys the field. You hide it for safety and security. You don't have a bank to put it in in this culture, so you just dig and hide it. This is safe. There's safety in doing nothing. But the goal in this story, from the master's perspective, and please hear this, the goal was not safety, but it was investment. The goal of the master's entrustment here in the story and in our lives is not safety. It's not safekeeping. If so, the one with one would have been commended. You did good. Gave you one, and you still got one. But rather, it was investment. Use it. This is the language of the, of the text here. The language is of gift utilization, talent entrustment, stewardship. Specifically, the master in the text is referred to as Lord or Master. And he gives these men an entrustment that is meant to be used to create profit. Not simply to keep safe. And let's say, let's overlay this to our discussion earlier to say this, that God, in your image-bearing nature, in your grace story, and in your spiritual giftedness, has given you that thumbprint for investment in his kingdom economy. All of it. So what does it look like to put all of that in the game? What does it look like to play ball with the investment that, you have given, that you've been given? Specifically in our church context, in your family, in the city that God's placed you. I'll give you four specific points of application. One would be ownership. This seems to me to be the critical first place to start is rather than trying to change yourself to own who God has made you. This is who I am. This is who God made me, and God did not mess up. That seems to be a very freeing place. That my story is wrecked with potholes and mistakes and poor decisions. My frame is built in ways that I don't love. Shrapnel of the fall that presses in upon me, things like cancer and disease and pain and things that I just don't like. Can you this morning own all of those things as an investment from God? My design is sovereignly planned by God for his purposes and kingdom work. Secondly, if we own who God has made us, this doesn't mean we wallow in our sin. Obviously, that's not what we're saying. This means we own the image, the story, and the spirit giftedness. Secondly, would be intentionality. Specifically to say this, we must affirm this is how I am useful in God's story. Your family, your church, your city need your unique thumbprint, not somebody else's. They need you to embody the investment that God has given you. 
The temptation is to retreat and to say, I'm not like that. I don't have this. And yet you compromise us when you don't apply your thumbprint to the community that God's placed you. Specifically, your image-bearing nature and your grace story, including all the wounds and all the pain, allows you specifically to see, recognize, and meet needs that others in this community will not see. There is something beautiful about a mom who knows what it is to lose a child being able to apply that wound to another 20-year-old that is walking that road. You know that pain deeply and specifically in a way that I do not. Some of you moms who have been swinging at parenting little ones for a decade, you know the frustration and discouragement that comes from being cooped up in a house all day and hearing mommy 12,000 times. You know what that is like, and God has orchestrated your story. He's made you a woman, positioned you in that way, so that you could invest it for kingdom purposes. You can deeply empathize with someone that other people can simply sympathize with. Thirdly, ownership, intentionality, Thirdly would be consistency. And by consistency, I mean this isn't something that you simply use in certain context. But your thumbprint is specific both in your family, in your church, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, that God is sovereign over all of that. And we continue to beat this drum. This is where trusting in God's sovereignty is the most freeing thing imaginable. That God, who perfectly sees everything, has looked down and has orchestrated 40, 50 years of your life specifically for his kingdom purposes and placed you in a context where that entrustment is most useful. That is a beautiful thing. You can't do that. You can't orchestrate your story to do that. In a weird way, I think we think, I choose my church, I choose my neighborhood, I choose my work. God's doing that. He's orchestrating all that, and he's positioning you specifically to work out your thumbprint to accomplish his kingdom purposes. And therefore, we must consistently apply who we are to each of the contexts that God has placed us. Men, the deep wounds that you have from an absentee father are not meant to simply allow you to bemoan your inconsistencies as a dad. But God entrusts you children so that you can apply that sense of loss and woundedness that you experienced to love and serve and lead your home well. Well, God gives that, orchestrates that. And it's meant to be applied across the board. But fourthly would be this, perseverance. Ownership, intentionality, consistency, meaning inside, outside, in the church, outside the church, family, everywhere. Fourthly would be perseverance. Your unique thumbprint, as we've seen uh, this morning, 
because it is unique to you and it includes all of your story, it will change at different seasons of your life. This thumbprint grows and expands and takes on more texture and beauty the longer that you live. This isn't a one-size-fits-all means where I can just drop in. Hey, what worked a decade ago for me will clearly work today. Well, maybe not so. God's had a decade of work on you. And for that reason, some of you are now parents with an empty house. Your kids are no longer there. They're scattered and they're raising their own children. And this morning, you have a specific life season to invest in kingdom economy. A specific life season. Some of us that are raising young kids, six, four, and two, for me, we have been entrusted with a specific season that comes with specific pains and problems and also specific joys and opportunities to invest that we simply will not have 10 years from now. Our church tends to attract a large number of newly married couples. Let me just affirm for you what you already know, that God has entrusted to you this season with some freedoms that you will not have a decade from now, more than likely. And you are given this stage not to forward think to what happens when we do have whatever fill in the blank, but to invest this season faithfully now. Single, same principle applies when God gives me, but specifically here and now. Faithfulness until the master returns. I think the text would press us this morning that there is something worse than messing up, and that is doing nothing. I think there is something worse for us as believers than trying to apply our thumbprint in this context and just being kind of clumsy with it. And the something worse is dig a hole in a field and sit around till Jesus returns. The outcome of the text is encouraging on the one hand. We have Jesus speaking to or the master in the text speaking to the five-talent person and the two-talent person. And here's the encouragement. The statement is just the same. Well done. Well done. Done good work. There is no distinction made in the statement from the master or the reward to those that are entrusted with five and those that are entrusted with two. The goal is simple faithfulness. And yet to the one there is distinction made. In the text, it is quite clear that the master is severely displeased with coming back and finding his gift hidden in a field. He judges, and he judges severely, kicking this one out into a place where there are weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've always wondered about that imagery. Gnashing of teeth. I think, for my mind, the, the best picture that I can get around is the notion of regret. There's this sense of when you've done something and you've applied yourself well, even if you mess up, 
And on the other hand, those that kind of stood at the plate, I mean, you run with this imagery, stood at the plate and struck out without swinging, and you walk off like, I should have done something. It seems to be the notion of this one-talent person that he's kicked out into a place where there is ongoing regret. I wasted it. I did nothing. And encouragement to those of us that do something is the gifts aren't an end in themselves. It's not, I'm going to give this to you and you're going to use it. But he says, I'm going to give it to you and you're faithful with it. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more and I'm going to give you more. That our faithfulness with that which we are entrusted is a cue to God to say they'll be faithful with more. What a great opportunity that lies before us. To swing in the areas that God has placed us to use rather than bemoaning the story and the circumstances of our lives and trust that as we apply them faithfully, God will continue to apply more and we will ultimately stand before King Jesus hearing, well done. You swung well. It wasn't easy. It had a lot of wounds. But you served well. That's worth getting out of bed in the morning. That's worth owning all of who you are and putting it into play for kingdom purposes. Question this morning. Just one question of reflection. Were the master to return this morning, would you be found faithful? Would you be found faithful today? And using all that you are for all the purposes that he has entrusted to you. If not, I beg you, allow God's word to penetrate your heart this morning such that repentance results so that you would not be found the one talent dude sitting on a treasure hidden in a field unfaithful when Christ returns.